All right, well, hi again. I'm David Collister, the lead pastor here at Current. We're glad you can join us. Today, we're continuing our series that we started last week, Uncharted, because, of course, we're living in uncharted times. Last week, we kind of considered what our heart posture can be in the midst of such uncertainty. Uh, This week, we're going to consider, as a church, what we can do tangibly in response to crisis. Uh, Because we're reminded in times like these that church isn't a building, church isn't a gathering or a service, but church is a people living on mission, serving God and serving those around us. So we're going to consider that today. And to do that, I thought we'd look at Acts chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8, the first eight verses. And we're going to be looking at and considering the early church and how they tangibly responded in the midst of great crisis. So Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the gospel there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So here's the context for Acts chapter 8. Stephen, one of the great early church leaders, had just been martyred. He had just been stoned, killed. And what had happened was he had just been out there helping the poor and helping those in need, helping the sick and telling them about Jesus. But in the wake of Jesus' crucifixion, that was enough for the authorities to kind of bring him before them and ultimately have him stoned. And so what we see as a result of Stephen's martyrdom is the church for the first time is being all out persecuted. And actually the language here in the original Greek that gives us our English translation is a lot more vivid than what we have. I mean, it's saying that they're being brutalized. The early church is being hunted. The early church is being killed and and put in prison. So what we see here is the church is now on the run for their lives. This new faith that they have is being severely tested, and they had just lost one of their most selfless loving leaders. Here's the first thing I want to draw out in terms of learning from their example in times of crisis. Number one, we're going to be looking at three things today. First, it's okay to grieve. Uh, Look again at verse two. It says, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. They mourned deeply for Stephen. Uh, Another English translation actually puts it this way. They made great lamentation over him. The Greek word behind our English is saying basically they were, they were beating their chest. They were so upset about this and saddened by this, and they were doing all these things deeply. Uh, here's why that matters. Uh, the Christian faith is not all about faking it until you're making it. It, it has nothing to do with th- such thought. It's not about slapping a smile on your face or, or you better turn that frown upside down. No, if anything, it's not just okay to grieve, but we're invited to grieve during times where it is hard and appropriate to do so. Uh, For those of you guys who know the book of Psalms in the Bible, there's there's 150 Psalms. Actually, we looked at one of the Psalms last week in our message. Did you know that of the 150 Psalms in the Bible, over one-third of them are Psalms of lament, 
meaning psalms where the ancient king David or other psalm writers were just pouring out their hearts in great sadness before the Lord. Now, each and every one of them had great hope also in, in the grief, in the lament, but if anything, we are invited to grief in times where it's hard. Um, and I know a lot of you are grieving right now. Uh, the other night, Cindy and I put our little guy down to bed, our little eight-year-old, and after a few minutes, we heard from com- coming from his room some some sniffles and some soft soft crying happening. So we went in to see what was happening. Said, "Son, what you know? What's what's going on?" There's tears coming down down his cheeks. You know what, what's going on? Why are you crying? And this was actually just the day that we had found out that it was likely schools were going to be closed for the rest of the semester, and you know there's no telling how long this is going to be. And so he said, I miss my friends. Tears coming down his eyes. I, and I'm, I'm just so sad that I'm probably going to miss summer break. Which my heart just broke for him in that moment. Because I remember being a little eight-year-old dude myself. Summer break was everything to me. And so my heart just broke for him. And you know, in, in moments like these, if Cindy and I were to have said, if I were to have said, you know what, son, just suck it up. Like, you know, how dare you cry right now. You know, that, that wouldn't have been good or helpful to him. Now, we did our best to give him perspective and hope in the midst of that, especially considering there's so many other things happening in our culture right now that really are you know, worthy of mourning. But for this little eight-year-old, that, that's something to mourn and grieve and to sit in that with him is appropriate and good. I was talking to another one of our leaders this week, and they were telling, he was telling me how they're mourning that their child, who is a senior in high school, is not getting to experience the second semester senior experience which we all know is just what it's all about. And, you know, that prom is probably not going to happen this year. And frankly, when he was telling this, I started to tear up a little bit because my heart just started breaking for uh, that senior and all seniors who are not probably going to have that. That's worthy to be mourning about, to, to, to grieve. And by the way, to all our current seniors and any, any out there listening, uh, we believe the best is yet to come for you. Even as we are, our hearts do go out for you. And, you know, we do grieve that alongside you. We do believe that God has something good and stored for you um, in, the, in your future. Um, I think of some of the handful of couples right now in current who are getting ready to get married, and they're starting to think through very real uh, that they might not be able to have their wedding as they've had planned. They've sent out the save the dates. And one couple this week was even saying, hey, well, I guess we're going to maybe even get married virtually. What could that look like? And so, you know, there's, there's, there's things going along along those lines to be grieving about. Even as there's, there's wonderful things that can come out of that, it's, it's good and right to mourn, mourn. But most of all, of course, our hearts go out to those being especially affected by coronavirus right now. I don't know what the, 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 the degrees of removal are for you, but for our family, we now have friends of friends who have passed away due to coronavirus. So our hearts go out to them. We are mourning about that. I think of the many people in the church who are in critical condition, have critical conditions of their own right that they need critical care for, and that care is being delayed in light of coronavirus. I think of those in, on the front lines in the medical field at our church and, and in our community uh, who are dealing with this in ways far more severely than, than most of the rest of us. Uh, there's a lot to grieve right now, a lot to mourn, and God commands his children to mourn with those who mourn. I think this is appropriate and good for us to consider because we're, as Americans, not very good at grieving. It's not something we naturally do. If anything, we try to like suck it up and just push forward. But no, there's a, there's a ministry to be had 
There's care to be received as we mourn and we mourn together. Uh, that is good and that is right. Even as, yes, there is hope. Even as, even in the grief, there is ultimately joy. I love that in our text. If you look again at the text, you see in verse 2 that they mourn deeply, but then jump down to verse 8. It says, there was great joy in that city. Uh, the persecuted church was grieving, yes, but even in the midst of grieving, there was, there was a joy, a contagious joy that they took with them wherever they went. How can that be? That's the gospel, friends. The gospel is Jesus died for the pain and suffering in the world. He mourned, he continues to mourn to this day for the pain and suffering in the world, but he died and ultimately came back to life to bring hope, to bring, bring life in the midst of a world that experiences pain and suffering. That's the gospel. So even though we do mourn, it's good and right to mourn, there is hope, there is indeed joy, and there's also actually opportunity which leads us to our next thought. The early church in the midst of crisis shows us that there's a call to action. Um, look at verses 1 and 4. Verse 1 says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then verse 4, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Here's what's in the backdrop of these statements here. Back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus gave to his followers, the church, their mission, their purpose, our mission, our purpose as a church. Here's the words that he gave, gave here's the words he gave to the church right before he, he went back into heaven. He said, You will receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But here's the problem that we see through the first eight chapters, through the first seven chapters up to chapter eight, our text today, that was not happening. Uh, through the church up until this point. They had not yet taken the message of hope in Jesus, the gospel, out beyond Jerusalem. Everything up until this point, from the time Jesus gave them that purpose, that calling, up until this time of persecution, they had not yet taken the gospel outside of Jerusalem. It had not gone to Judea, which is the surrounding province, of Jerusalem. It had not gone into Samaria, which is the next concentric circle out in terms of the surrounding area further. And then, of course, it hadn't gone out to the ends of the earth. And what we see here is it's the first time that the church begins to take the calling that they've been given out from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. And what's important for us, of course, to note here is it wasn't until crisis hit that they finally leaned into their calling. Um, they had gotten comfortable. They had gotten set in their ways. But God had greater plans for them and for the world. Uh, one writer put it this way, Sometimes God can and will use pressing circumstances to guide us into His will. And sometimes we will have to be shaken out of our comfortable state before we do what God wants us to do. As a church, friends, it could be real easy for us to hit the cruise control right now, to kind of just take it easy, to kind of shut down. But if anything, we want to step it up in this time. 
while so much, so much of our society is kind of turning to look inwards and care for, for self, we want to fight that and try our best to think about others first and to look to serve and meet needs around us. We want to live out our value of generosity. Uh, we see obstacles not as hindrances, but as opportunities for God to work and for us to partner alongside with them. This is not a time for the church to shrink back, in other words, or to sit on the sidelines. It's a time for the church to meet needs courageously, generously, and creatively. And so the question we're asking right now, and we invite to ask, for you to ask alongside us, is how can we do that? How can we meet needs tangibly in the community, courageously, generously, creatively? How can we do that collectively as a church because we're better together? How can we do that individually wherever the Lord has us and all the people that he has in our lives? That's the question we're asking is how can that, what, what can this look like? So one, just to have some ideas to throw out there, one idea is just to honor and respect what our civic leaders are deciding for us right now. So for instance, this, this shelter in place order is in effect. As Christians, we should adhere to that. Why? Because that's loving our neighbor. You know, you've undoubtedly heard by now the term flat, the phrase flattening the curve. As we stay inside, we are helping society flatten the curve, not overwhelm the medical system. In other words, love our neighbor, which Jesus commands us to do. The reason why I share that is because Cindy and I were out on a bike ride uh, the other day with the kids, um, which you're allowed to do in the shelter-in-place order. And we, you know, as long as you take take precautions, stay far enough away. We were out there as the farthest we had been from our house since the whole thing started. And we were on El Camino. We went over to Stevens Creek Trail with the kids. have these little tandem bikes. And we noticed just tons and tons and tons of cars out there. And at one point, Cindy and I were saying to each other, like, these folks aren't all doing essential things. These people aren't all in the medical profession. They're not all, you know, delivering food or going to the grocery store or whatever it might be. And in fact, one dude, like, was kind of messing with people out there. Look, I'm not trying to judge or point a finger of blame, but the point is, this is a way in which Christians can, uh, first of all, respect authority and, and the leadership that we have, which we, whom we should be also be praying for. But number two, loving our neighbor. Um, another way we can be uh, serving others right now is is calling people. You know, it's it's interesting. Those cell phones that we have in our pockets um, actually can be used for phone conversations. Uh, go figure. Uh, but this is a great time to call people. Um, I think as a society, we, culturally speaking, aren't usually in the habit of calling people, connecting with people that way. But how much more so can we or even ought we to be connecting to people in this way in the midst of isolation? You know, texting and emailing, that's all great. But calling and just checking in, hey, how are you doing? You know, with our family members, with people in our small group, with people that are our coworkers, just calling and just having a, a connection with them just to kind of uh, be with them in the midst and help them process things. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, a martyr in Nazi Germany during World War II, he was martyred for his Christian faith. He said that the gift of listening is of critical importance. By the way, during normal times, to leave space for people just to talk and for us to listen and hear what they have to say. By the way, he says, without giving advice or feeling the need to like solve their problems, but just to be a lending ear. Uh, you can call somebody this week or a few people this week. Um, another way we're trying to get creative in this is, is meeting tangible needs. Our team is starting to make masks from scratch 
and uh, because we want to we want to help people in nursing homes that are being hit especially hard right now. Uh, Current normally meets in a senior center, so the elderly are especially on our minds and hearts right now. If this is something you want to help make happen, stick around after this message. Uh, There will be more details about this. Uh, make sure to be watching us on social media too, or you can email compassion at currentsv.church, compassion at currentsv.church, and the team will follow up with you. Other things that we're trying to do as a team is run grocery uh, grocery outings for people who are vulnerable, for people who can't get out right now or it's unsafe for them to do so. By the way, if that's you, let us know so we can, we can, we can try to help you in that way. If you want to help us make those runs, let us know. Um, we're trying to, our best to support uh, frontline healthcare workers as we can. This right now is taking the form of more case-by-case individual help as we can, maybe sending them meals or door dashing things for them. If you want to help out with that, let us know. You can reach out to your neighbors at this time. Uh, you, if, if you have their emails, just, just email out, hey, is there any way we can be a help? to you in this time. Cindy sent out an email to our neighbors this week in our, to our HOA and, and said, hey, you know, we'd love to be a help to you in any way. We're thinking of you guys, all our neighbors in our community right now. Uh, we have a church that's, that's ready to help and meet needs as possible. So let us know if we can help, help you. And the neighbors came back with, without any specific need, at least, at least as of yet, but it created this, this, this thread of, of the neighbors checking in with each other and, and, and caring for one another and listening to one another. Um, these are all ways that we can help. If you don't have email addresses, you can write a little card and place it out in front of your of your neighbor saying, hey, thinking about you, praying for you. If we can be a help to you, our church is trying to activate ways to, to help people who are vulnerable right now. Let us know if that's you. Here's my contact information and so on and so forth. Uh, we can serve others by giving generously at this time, allowing us to continue as a church to corporately respond in powerful ways. You know, we're living in unprecedented times. I mean, much in the same way that there was a pre-9-11 and now we live in a post-9-11, there's going to be going forward uh, a pre-coronavirus time and now uh, ultimately a post-COVID virus time. And so we have a, a, a unique opportunity as a church to step in and meet tangible needs. And to those of you guys giving so generously, thank you so you're doing that. That's allowing us to give to, to ministries like We Hope that we highlighted uh, during this time that we just helped. We sent $10,000 to help them get set up with a mobile uh, bathroom unit for the homeless in our area, uh, sanitizing it and making sure the homeless are cared for in that way while all these public parks are being, their bathrooms are being shut down. We're sending gifts to Freedom House to help these nonprofit, this nonprofit who works with human trafficking not have to, 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 to slow down their efforts or, or change the way they're doing things in, in a time that we need to be helping them step up all the more. Um, as we give generously, as you give generously, it allows us to help us do all these things. Now, why do we give generously? First and foremost, we do it out of worship to the Lord. It's a way for us to give back a portion of what he's given to us, saying, God, we trust you even in the midst of that. It's also a way that we trust the local church in terms of the local church trying its best to, to use resources collectively to meet needs in greater ways together than just by ourselves. And then, and then of course, it's also, we also give generously to, to meet tangible needs and to see some wonderful work happening like I've, I've, I've listed off here and you'll hear more and more about as we continue to do the best we can as a church. If you've never given before, I encourage you to consider giving something 
during this time. If you have given before, we encourage you to automate your generosity online. Uh, that Automating your generosity helps us plan and, and anticipate how we can serve and step in and meet needs as they come up. Uh, for those of you who have been giving regularly, this could be a time where we think about what are ways that we could give an extra gift perhaps. Uh, maybe we're not spending money on this, this, or that because situations have changed. All these ways we can give generously and as a church give back into the community. Uh, one last idea in terms of how we can do this creatively, courageously, generously is you can be thinking about digital outreach. We are in unprecedented times in terms of people looking to online sources for help and support. Um, I heard a story this last week of one of our leaders tagging this online service uh, in his social media, and a friend responded to that. Somebody who had never otherwise stepped foot in church was like, you know what, I can do that in this time, and you know, if anything, I'm looking out to try to figure out God right now, now more than ever, and they attended last week. Hopefully you're attending this week, by the way. Um, if that's you, we're excited you're here. But online and social media platforms are ways that we can have tangible ministry impact. What we see here in Acts 8 was the church was meeting tangible needs in the midst of crisis. The early church leader, Philip, went out helping the sick and hurting, we're told in verses 6 and 7. But ultimately, they weren't just meeting tangible needs, they were meeting spiritual needs. Philip went preaching Messiah wherever he went. And then look at verse 4. All that were scattered preached the word wherever they went. I love that. Now, this, this phrase, preaching the word, can, can be a bit misleading. This is not to say the early church was taking you know, pulpits wherever they went and setting up and doing 30-minute you know, sermons on, on the street corners. No, what, what this is saying here in the original language is they were sharing Jesus naturally, intentionally, in relationship, wherever they went, wherever they were placed, and the emphasis here is it wasn't the, the, the professionals who were doing this. In fact, if you look again back at verses two or, or three, at verse one, it says, all except the apostles were scattered, meaning the apostles, the main church leaders, weren't a part of this movement as, as it's described. So that's saying it's not just the, the church leaders or just the, you know, the, the pastors, the preachers, the apostles, whatever it might be, who are out there doing it. No, it was everybody. It was, it was everybody uh, doing it, sharing their faith, sharing, pointing people to Jesus wherever God had them placed. And that's what we're called to do in this time. Crisis is a call to action, church family, and we want to step into that as best we can, meeting tangible needs and pointing people to Jesus. Which leads us to our last thought. The early church shows us in crisis, uh, it's a time to be expectant. One of our values is to be expectant. This is a time to be expectant, to see God move in ways greater than we could have hoped for or imagined. Because while we might not right now know how, one of the greatest promises of the Bible is that God is not only in control, he's working all things for good. And that's the case, by the way, in this great persecution we see here in this text. I never noticed this before this week, uh, in my study. But look at verse 3. It says, Saul began to destroy the church. Saul. For those of you who know your Bible, do you know who Saul is? Saul would later have an encounter with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus and take on the name Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. Saul 
is, was destroying the church, verse 3, which is incredible to think about because this guy who was destroying the church would soon, in, a, in just, just about a, just, just a couple years' time, decades' time, would be establishing the church, building the church, humanly speaking, having a greater impact, catalyzing the movement of the gospel, getting out into the world, not just Judea and Samaria, but to the utmost parts of the world, in greater ways than we've ever seen before beside Jesus. Paul, the one who's destroying the church. Now, here's the question. Do you think the early churches, they were being persecuted by, by Saul himself? Do you think they had warm and fuzzy feelings towards him? Of course not. Do you think that he was going to be somebody that God would get a hold of and through his grace miraculously make him become a person who extends the go- extended the gospel in greater ways than they could have ever hoped or thought about? Of course not. And yet, that's what we see here in this text. God was getting ready to do something incredibly beautiful in a way that the persecuted church had no idea. This is a time to be expectant. This is a time to look to see God move in ways that we could never hope for or imagine. Things that he would do that would only be possible because things have happened the way they have. Um, Why does all this happen? Why is this the way? It's because this is the gospel. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, not only took on flesh, but he came into a broken, suffering world. And the gospel message is Jesus didn't just face a crisis, but he, he faced the crisis for all of us on the cross. That when he died and bore our sins on his body, he took the penalty for all sins on the world. And so when we put our faith in him, we can receive hope and life in him forever, which means whatever crisis that the follower of Jesus could face is not a crisis ultimately at the end of the day. We do mourn the things that are hurtful and painful and the suffering that's in the world, yes, but ultimately there is hope, there is joy, because not even the greatest crisis, death itself, can have, a, have any impact on a follower of Jesus because he's given us life in his name, which also means that we can extend his hope, his love, even in the midst of crisis. Friends, this is a call to action. The coronavirus, uh, we need to be mourning, yes, praying for those, praying that the, the disease would be beaten back, but we need to also, as Christ followers, be looking for our way to f- for, for ways for us to follow the path of Jesus, to lay down our lives for the sake of others. We are called to be courageous, generous, and creative in meeting tangible needs and pointing people to Jesus. And in this way, we can see him move in ways that we would never have seen before. This last week, somebody put their faith in Jesus. This was last Sunday. Uh, it was amazing. They had gotten a mailer from us, and they decided, you know what, I, I wouldn't have gone to church in person, but I figure I'll check things out online. That's easy enough. They came. They ended up putting their faith in Jesus. And when the team heard that, first of all, we are ecstatic for you if you're, you're joining us today, because that's what this is all about. We just, we just gave God praise for that one because we're just so thrilled that you— Put your faith in Jesus. That we, the, the uh, um, a sister has now put her faith in Jesus. But we also give God praise because that's just encouragement that they, He is moving in ways that we couldn't have anticipated before, almost in different ways because things are the way they are. Friends, we have a call to action here. God is moving. We might not know why all this is happening. We might not know how it's going to all work out in the midst of it, but he is moving, and he is going to move, and we get the opportunity to partner with him. The question is, will we? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are in control, 
and thank you that you're working things out for good, even hard things. Would you help us as followers of yours not to shrink back at this time, but to take up the call to action to meet tangible needs and to point those in our lives to you, our ultimate hope. Please make us courageous, generous, and creative in all this. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.